1996, in April of 1996, my family moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And just a few months later, for those of you who uh, have steel trap minds, you know that something happened in Atlanta, Georgia just a few months after that. The Olympics went to Atlanta. And so we, we arrived just before all of the kind of the hubbub of welcoming the Olympics to your city. And something happened in the heart of this little guy that was just about to turn 13 years old. Um, I developed a significant crush on Dominique Mochianu. Um, <laughs> She was the youngest on the gymnastics team that year. And I actually began to believe, you know, I'm almost 13. She's the youngest on the team. We're going to be in the same city all summer. Uh, maybe there's a chance. And so I actually, I started researching her, not in an odd way, maybe a little bit, but I'd clip out articles. I knew things about Dominique and we kind of had this, this thing going. Um, and I, you know, I, I felt like there was some sort of connection that we had, but the truth is what was going on between Dominique Mochianu and me in the summer of 1996 was not unfolding on a relational spectrum at all. It was more of like a hobby, you know? It was, I was fascinated, maybe a little obsessed, and, uh, and that, that all of a sudden, that, that experience was not relational. It was just something that I was cultivating in, in kind of a, in a hobby sort of way. Fast forward a few years when I was 17, I had moved to Fort Worth, Texas, and I met a girl named Ashley Chamberlain. And uh, real quickly, we got to know one another, and it was a different experience. And the reason it was such a different experience is because I was getting to know her knowing me. She was concerned about me, and she would call and check on me. That thing that's going on with your roommate or that test you've been studying for, how's your family? She would check in, and her checking on me, me knowing her knowing me was leading to real intimacy, to real friendship. A bond that's led to, to marriage and children and a life together. But the first steps of intimacy, of real relationship, of something unfolding on a relational spectrum, was knowing her, knowing me. This morning, we're going to study a passage of scripture that's going to pose a question for us. And then in some really, maybe even uncomfortable ways, it's going to press that question down into our souls together. And it's this question. Is your encounter with God unfolding on a relational spectrum? Or is it more of a hobby? Is it unfolding on a relational spectrum where you're actually on a journey growing closer to who he is, even as he is knowing you? Or is it more like my interaction with Dominique Mociano? Maybe I'm interested, maybe I'm obsessed, maybe I even read theology and can quote scriptures, but as far as having a deep sense of God knows me, even as I know him, and we're moving towards relational intimacy, that those words don't maybe make a lot of sense to you. Let me just say this this morning. Wherever you find yourself, maybe you got invited by a friend. And uh, you, have never, you would never say that you've had a relationship with God. I just want to tell you, there is a wild and unruly, a beautiful, profoundly good and merciful God. And he knows you. He knows you. And he's beckoning to you that you might know him knowing you. And for some of you, you've been walking with the Lord for decades. Your relationship with the Lord is like a, a seasoned, textured marriage. You've been through some things together. And I just want to encourage you as well. You have only scratched the surface. 10,000 years from now, those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and are in the presence of the Father, we, 10,000 years from now, will still be going, can you believe it? I had no idea. 
The great adventure of loving someone who is eternal means that we will never plumb the depths of them. Forever we will be stunned by the character of God. It will never grow old. It will never grow tired. It will always be startlingly beautiful. And so the invitation is to go deeper. The invitation is to take steps towards intimacy with him. To know him knowing us. And we're going to examine that by looking at Psalm 139. A psalm written by David. A man that was described as a man after God's own heart. Who said the bullseye of my life is plumbing the depths of the character of God. And I'm going to run hard at that no matter what else is going on. So we're going to look to this passage and be invited to take steps deeper. We're going to look at the first six verses of Psalm 139 together. So if you want to open your Bible or pull up your phone or you can follow me on the screen above. Just before I read, permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. This means that everything we see in the physical world is coming undone. It's moving towards chaos, towards death. But when we come to the word of God, we're in touch with something eternal and life-giving and powerful. And we would be really wise to pay attention. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. See, David is in this psalm beckoning to a group of people and saying, will you go deeper into God with me? And in the first six verses, he's beginning to explore what does it mean that God really knows us? And that as we know him, we know him knowing us. And right off the bat, we understand that he's saying that God knows all of our external activity. He knows all of your activity. In verse 1, we kind of get a banner statement that the whole psalm unfolds out of. And the banner statement is, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. The Hebrew word for search here means to penetrate. It means to, to reach down in and to look inside, to be able to make sense of what's really going on there. He's starting off by going, God, you know me completely. And as he begins to explore that... He starts by saying, you know all of my activity, where I go and what I do. Did you see it there in verse 2? He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. There's this sense of when we rise up and we're ready to work hard. Or when we sit down and rest exhausted. That on both ends of the spectrum, God sees us. God knows us. We don't intend to be two different people, but oftentimes different contexts just draw different things out of us. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I've, I've had those recognitions that you go to work during the day and you spend time with certain people. And maybe it's that you're, you're making that presentation and you're on point and everybody's in the room and you make the joke that lands and everything goes well. And, and there's that certain sense of when you're driving home towards your spouse or your family or who you live with where you realize... I can try to explain what happened today, but I, I, I don't think you're really going to understand. I don't think I can really get you to the point of knowing what it was like. I remember I had one of those days a few weeks back and I was driving home and I was thinking, man, some really beautiful and hard things happened today. And no matter how much I explain, Ashley's going to say, 
that's interesting and she'll listen. But as far as really being able to understand what it was like, she can't. And then simultaneously you get home and it's the sit down and exhaustion. May or may not be talking autobiographically, but imagine you're at home and you're on your couch and you're wearing those sweatpants with the hole. And you've pulled out the ice cream and you're just relaxing and you and your spouse are laughing at those inside jokes and things that if anybody in the boardroom that you were presenting in saw that moment that might create some awkwardness because they don't know that part of you. And it's not that you're intending to be two different people. It's just that all of your activities take you in a lot of different directions. And there's a certain sense at some point where we go, who really knows us? Like really knows us in a way that ties it all together. When we pause and consider, we recognize that there is a certain amount of separation. And God leans in and he says, I know you and I see I see you on point in the presentation. I see you cozy on the couch. I see it all. It is my presence that is the thread tying your story together. I'm always there. And when we pause and we let that last statement settle down on us, it does some interesting things, doesn't it? He is always there. He sees and he knows. There's part of it that's really encouraging. It's that sense of you, that that part of you that stayed late and did the really excellent job and nobody noticed. Like, gosh, I was really hoping somebody would pat me on the back, say something. And God says, no, 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 I saw, I know, job well done. And when you lay your life down for that person and you take the place of graciousness and all of a sudden you, you position yourself low and they just trample right over you and you go, why do I keep doing this? And God goes, no, 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 I see and I know. There's a certain amount of encouragement that starts to bubble up when God goes, none of that is lost on me. I see it all. But just in that moment of encouragement, creeping right at the back of our minds is that deep unsettling thought. He sees and he knows. You know, like the angriest and the ugliest moments. The thing that you said to that person when the door was shut and nobody else heard it and you're glad that they didn't because you go, how could I even have responded that way? Oh, the activities that you've done that you think nobody knows about. You've tried really hard to put them away under lock and key from your past, maybe even something that's unfolding right now in your present. And God says, I see and I know. I know about the hotel room. I know about the fudged numbers on the report. I know about the broken relationship that you're hoping nobody really understands your implications and... He says, I see it all and I know. I was there and I heard those words spill out of your mouth. I saw the look on your face. I know. And then there's that recognition of the stuff that's been done to us. I just want to own the fact that in a room this size, uh, some of you have been sinned against in some really egregious ways and I'm sorry. Like things that you just don't talk about much but you feel in a deep way and maybe it's shrouded in shame or guilt. I need you to know that God knows. He sees. I see my Josh and Debs Walker over here. Many of you probably know them. Years ago, I had the privilege of getting to partner briefly with them in Montrose when they were doing some ministry down there and I was as well. And they came to do a training for some of the guys that I was discipling. And I'll never forget, Debs told a story to my guys that night that really impacted us. 
She talked about uh, one night walking the streets in Montrose and meeting with these transgendered prostitutes. And she was one that she was getting to know. She prayed for this person. And while she was praying, all she could see was a puzzle piece in her mind. And I remember as she told the story, she said it was kind of awkward. I didn't know what to make of it. And I didn't know if I should say something. But after praying, I kind of stepped out in faith. And I said, and I just need to ask this question. Do you know anything about a puzzle piece? And the person looked somewhat startled, like, hey, how do you know about the puzzle? And the way that I recall the story, Deb said something along the lines of, I, I don't know, but God knows. And I think he wants you to know that he knows. And this person began to well up with tears and say, you know, when I was a child, I was abused. I was abused by a parent and I was terrified knowing that he was coming home and I would hide. I would hide under beds and in closets. And when I was hiding, I would work puzzles to keep my mind engaged because it was the only thing that could get my mind off of the terror of the moment. And they went on to say that now I have this apartment and I've got this room that I don't let anybody go in. But in that apartment are all of these puzzles that I work and rework because it's the only place that I can find peace. And in that moment, Debs, on behalf of the loving father, was able to look back at this person and say, all of those moments that you thought were alone, those moments of terror and shame and sadness, God sees you were never alone. I need you to hear that today. It may not be puzzle pieces, but it's something where we've convinced ourselves that God turned a blind eye and we think, where was he then? And God's saying, I saw it all. And I know. And it's the first step to starting to have genuine relational intimacy with God. When we look back and we say, we're beginning to know you knowing me. You were there in those moments of darkness and sadness, those moments of encouragement, those moments of joy. You were there for all of it. But it's not just that he sees the external activity. The second thing that David presses into is that he also sees what's going on inside. If you look back at verse, two, verse 2b, it says, you discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 4 says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. These are the verses that start to get a little uncomfortable. Not only has God seen all of my activity, but he knows the thoughts and unformed words that are rattling around in your head and heart. I'd like you to imagine for a moment that when you came in today, I was able to greet you at the back door. I introduced myself, said, hello, nice to meet you. I need to let you know something. I was able to lay hold of the transcript of all of your thoughts from the last week. I've got it printed out. I made copies. And there's one on every chair in the worship center. And that's going to be our reading material for the day. <laughs> now, it might very well be the case that you just turn around and walk back the other direction. You're like, no, thank you. I'm out of here. But there's a sinking reality. If you really pause and you, and you just let your mind run back over the last week. And think about the things that, that never found uh, words coming off of your lips, but they ran through your mind. Think about those things with me. Think about the catalog. You know, if we, if we could read that reading material this morning for some of you, I think for some of you, you've got that really wry sense of humor that's easily passed over in a crowd. But if we could hear all of the thoughts and read all the thoughts, we'd go, wow, that person, this is some like comedic gold here. You know, there's, there's those people in your life where you're like, Hey, you got to speak this out. This is good stuff. That's hilarious, you know. There's some of you where you go, wow, that is the most loving person. They think about other people throughout the day. 
And they're just so full of love. And I want you to know that God doesn't miss that. He hears those thoughts and he's in part of those thoughts. But there's also some of us in, in the honest places of our heart and the honest places of my heart. The reason there's awkward laughter when we say, oh, the transcript of my thoughts on every chair. <laughs> Ooh. It's because the recognition that there's a lot of stuff in there I don't want anybody to read. You know, it's that the person that seems really placid on the outside, but there's just such anger and rage. Some of you would be elbowing one another going, did you see page 132? Like that combination of words, I didn't even know you could do that. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. Like, man, they were mad. They were really undone there. And then there's the uncomfortable reality of the lustful thoughts that have been dwelled on about that person that sits next to you at work. Or it's the worry and anxiety that you're just sitting in. And people may not have noticed from the outside looking in, but they start to go, wow, that person is so bound up in all the what ifs of life that they can barely live what's right in front of them. You realize when we start to see the transcript of our minds, we realize that there's a lot going on there. And what the Lord is saying is you're not alone in that space. The reason that our thoughts are so different frequently than what we present to the world is because we're convinced we're alone in that space that that's a quiet lonely room and God all of a sudden steps right in and says no no your thoughts from afar I discern them your unformed words I hear them and I just want to invite you into this reality one of the great powers of beginning to know God knowing us is that we can transform the transcript of our minds I'm not talking about sinless perfect but what I mean is when we begin to realize that God is in the room of our thoughts with us we don't dwell in those places in the same way when the lustful thought or the worry or the greed or the selfishness crops back up we would read that transcript really differently because when all of a sudden the worry starts to 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 flood in well what if this happens and I don't know about that and what is this person going to think of me and and then all of a sudden when we're transforming the transcript and we realize that God is there with us, it reads more like we stop and we go, God, I recognize that you're here with me and you know me and you hold my today and my tomorrow and none of this is a surprise to you. Would you help me to find rest in that even now? We begin to rehearse what he said to be true and all of a sudden it changes. The inner workings begin to change. That's because we're now on a relational spectrum we're knowing God, knowing us, all of our external activity, all of our internal activity. But when we realize those two things together, point one plus point two, catapults us into verse five with the, with the psalmist because all of a sudden he's going, so you know everything I do outside and you know everything that's going on inside that leads him to verse five to say, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. When he says you hem me in, it's actually a military phrase. And what he's saying is you have besieged me. It means that all of the soldiers have surrounded the city. It's that scene at the end of the Western movie where they're all holed up with the guns inside. And the guys ride up on horses outside and they say, you're surrounded. Come out with your hands up. Right? That's verse 5. It's that reality that you see and you know it all. Where am I going to go? And if we were going to continue to study this psalm, we would see that he explores the options. I could go on the far side of the ocean. I could go up to the top of the mountains or down to Sheol. But God, you're there. Where can I go? You've hemmed me in. And like at the end of the 
the Western movie, the only appropriate response we begin to realize is to walk out with hands up and go, you got me. I have these precious two boys. Uh, so this is Finn and Caleb, six and four. And uh, you guys are doing great, by the way. So this is, you know, you, you put your boys on the front row and you're like, ooh, you guys are doing great. Good job. There's been moments, uh, we, we might all be honest and say, there's been moments where it hasn't been just like this. You know, one of those moments where it just kind of starts to spike and you're like, all right, here we go. Oh, oh. And I remember moments with both of my boys where there was just a lot of aggression, frustration about what was going on or what they were being asked to do. And there's been moments where it's, it was the appropriate response, it seemed, to restrain them so that they wouldn't hurt themselves or hurt me. Or, and so there's been these moments where I'd wrap them up in my arms and I'd just sit down. And uh, I'd begin to breathe deeply. <sighs> Buddy, I love you and I'm right here with you. And in those moments, what they were doing was, you know, right? Like, you guys, you remember this, right? Uh, every muscle in the body, some screaming, some fighting, some I don't want to be here. And what I'm proclaiming to you, Dad, with every muscle, every ounce of energy, is I'm not okay with this. But I would wait. And it's proven to be some of the sweetest moments of getting to be dad to these boys is that I would wait and go, buddy, I love you and I'm right here with you. You know? And then in time, it's always happened this way. Every time. There's a moment and you can feel it. It's the moment where they melt. They go, right? And they just kind of put their head against me. And I let go, and we're finally free just to embrace one another. That's you hem me in. What the Father is saying is, I know all of it. And quite frankly, you're exhausting yourself running. Like all of that secrecy and that darkness and the things you try to keep locked in that dark room, aren't you just tired? And would you dare to hear these words as the words of God today? Aren't you just tired? That's exhausting to live that way. And what the Father is doing is he's holding on to us. And there's that beautiful reality that just after they melt, their breasts would start to match mine. We would both be going, and they would go, and there's this alignment in that moment where all of a sudden what he's saying is, you're safe. You're okay. You don't have to run and you don't have to hide anymore. But the truth is we are runners and we are hiders and we are scramblers, are we not? Verse 6 even lends its way to it. It says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. From the very first in the Garden of Eden, we are people that run and hide. We scramble and we fix. We try to earn and we try to prove ourselves. We try to fix things. And Adam and Eve, when everything went south, they were running and hiding and they're in the, in the trees, kind of tying their fig leaf knots, saying, I hope this sticks. And all of a sudden God shows up. And do you remember what he says? He says, where are you? He could have just as easily said, you're surrounded. Come out with your hands up. Right? There they are getting ready. And God's going, where are you? And they come out. And there they are before God and they're just kind of 
their foolish efforts to cover the brokenness, the hiding and the effort and the earning and all that stuff. But you know what God does? He doesn't wash his hands of them. He doesn't lash out at them. Do you know what he does? He covers them. The first bloodshed in the, in, in the book, in the whole of the Bible, is the animal that died to give his life to cover Adam and Eve. Such knowledge is high, and I cannot attain it. You see, what David is grasping at and that finds its culmination in Jesus is this reality that God, when confronting all of your activity and all the internal realities of what's thought and not spoken and he sees it all and he sees us trying to earn it and to fix it and to hold it all together and he shows up into our story and he said, I've seen it and I know it all. And you don't have to run and you don't have to hide. And there's nothing to prove and there's nothing to earn. Would you just allow me to cover you in what I have completed at the cross of Jesus? The work is complete. And you can unfold into the arms of the Father, your home. And so this is the invitation to the journey of relational intimacy, knowing God, knowing us. He knows everywhere you're going to go this week and he'll go with you. Won't you just receive that with joy? Knowing that in the car, in the meeting, at home, he's with you. Welcome him. In your thoughts that are running you ragged, would you welcome him in and allow the transcript of your mind to be transformed by the recognition that God is with you there? And would you stop running? Would you just collapse into the arms of the Father? Would you confess to another human being, looking them in the eyes and saying, I've been living in the secret here and I need to name it to you? God already sees me and I need you to see me so I can believe that more deeply and can walk in freedom. He knows you. And he's inviting you to know the great joys of knowing him, knowing you. Would you take those steps with him? Let's pray. Hmm. Would you maybe just in the quiet, let's not rush past this moment. Would you just in a sign of surrender, open your hands up, maybe lay them just face up on your lap. And would you ask the spirit of God who is a speaking reality that he would speak to you in this moment and just speak to you about you, what you need to hear particularly from this text. Would you ask him even now? So gracious God and Father, I am really grateful today that you're not a silent God. You haven't left us to wonder about what you're like, what you value, how you feel about us, that you have spoken. We thank you that your word is alive and active and sharp and that it divides us even bone and marrow. And I pray that for every man and woman and child in this space today that they would receive your word to them that they would respond in faith and that we would be a people 
that like David, set our gaze on your glory and your character and say, we're running to that place. No matter what else happens with my life, I am going to lay hold of the heart of God. Would you make that true of us? We believe that if we lay hold of your heart, we get everything. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's in your precious and your powerful name that we pray. Amen and amen.